Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Psachim, daf mem hey, page 45. Before we get to the daf of the day, I just want to note that it is the, I'll call it the solar year anniversary today, on the day that we release this podcast, January 5th, 2021. It's been one year since we began our journey this year in the daf, from Brachot Daf Bet, uh, one year ago today was the Hadron Siyum Hashas, the women's Siyum uh, in Jerusalem. Um, and I would say it's been a wild ride. We didn't know what 2020 was going to have in store for us at that time. And obviously some of what's been wild about this year has been the pandemic and everything like that. But some of it, I think, has really just been delving into the daf, learning with you, Yardina, and with all of our co-learners, and the siyumim that we've been able to enjoy this year and really making our way through a good amount of Talmud. Some of it, you know, with greater delving, deeper learning, some of it a little bit less deep. And I I just have to marvel, um, you know, when we began your day and I remember saying, I don't know if we'll make it through Brachot, but let's try. I don't know if we'll make it through Shabbos, but let's try. And now I feel like every so often I still feel that way. It's still a, a big undertaking. But I, I really thank you and everybody else who's joining us on this journey for making it what it is. It's really hard to believe we made it through a year. Um, I have a big smile on my face as I'm saying this. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's really a privilege to be your chavrut, Diane, and to learn with you and to learn with everyone who tunes in every day to us. And I'm looking forward, God willing, to many more days of learning together. So, you know, we certainly should celebrate what we've accomplished so far. And we know that we have much, much more to get to. And how. Um, okay, so now to the daf. Um, our daf has a new mission on it. When we're talking about dough that's in the cracks of a kneading bowl. Now, my kneading bowl is metal, stainless steel. There's no cracks. But if you're using ceramic or wood, which are more, you know, the metals of then, then there's a great possibility that you're going to end up with, um, you know, that there's cracks in the material and that some small, infinitesimal, tiny bits of dough can get into those cracks. So then the question is, how much is there? Because if you've got a kazayat, right, which you've got the amount of the olive within all of those cracks and it comes to join together to be the amount of an olive, now you have to get rid of it because otherwise you've got an olive's worth of dough in your bowl, which can really, really become chamet. But if the dough does not even add up to become that amount of a kazayat, then it's considered batel, it's considered nullified because it's as if it's nothing. It's just too little to even count, uh, which I think is an important thing. We've mentioned this already before that the kazayat becomes the measurement of prohibited food items. Uh, when it comes to chamet, sometimes it's a little more complicated, but this, in this case, it seems to be upheld, at least in this part of the Mishnah. So also, if we're talking about uh, tuma, if we've got an issue of purity or impurity with regard to the, the bowl itself, if you, wanna, if you want to be metaherit, if you want to purify it, and now you have to worry about there's dough that's stuck in the cracks, well, how can you manage this? Uh, if you are 
um, finicky, I guess, about the fact that you've got dough in the cracks, then you have to get rid of it. Then, then it becomes a problem. It's a chatzitza. It's some kind of, um, what's the word for chatzitza? A barrier to the phenomenon of it becoming, of being rendered pure. But if you don't care, then you're, you're in a better shape as far as the dough itself goes. If you want it to remain in place, meaning that it says if it really just becomes part of the bowl, then that also makes things a little bit easier for you in terms of what do you have, do you have to take anything out? Um, I, I want to look at the Gemara on this just for, you know, in a moment, but I just want to comment that I, I guess it's become such a, a point of inspiration that people talk about this. I think it's Japanese art, right? Where they re repair pottery and the cracks and they pour gold molten gold into the cracks to make you know the the thing that is the cracks it makes it even better so i find it interesting that this question of the i'm not suggesting that this is what's happening here but the idea that the dough in the cracks of the bowl can be regarded as something that's a problem or it can be regarded as something that actually kind of supports the bowl and makes it even better um which is i don't know maybe not what i would have ever thought again our bowls today I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever used a bowl that still had dough stuck stuck well, in any crevices. Not only that, there. if you really had a bowl with a crack, I always get rid of those because you're worried about like bacteria or right, anything getting into it. I mean, again, I think they didn't have things that were like plastic the way that we did. So certainly the materials that they had were very different. Right. Okay. So let's see what the Gemara has to say about this. And then I'll turn it over to you, Yerdina. Tanya Kalishna Kama, Tanya Kalishna Batra. The Gemara says that we've got a... So this the Gemara opens with Rabbi Yehuda commenting, with Shmuel's comment, talking about exactly this question of the Kazayat in the bull. But I really want to get to the nature of this bull where the, we have a Gemara... I'm sorry, we have a Brita that the Gemara brings. It says as follows. B'tzeik if you have added your dough, or if you've used the bowl for dough, and then you you recognize that that dough is strengthening your bowl, then you it's not a chatzitza. It's no barrier to simply the bowl being a bowl, right? It's not getting in the way. And you're not going to have any violation of that dough being in the bowl. Kind of, it's now an it becomes an integral part of the bowl. But if it's not doing anything to strengthen the bull itself, then in fact it becomes a barrier to, to being metaher. And in fact, you would then be violating the problem of the dough being there. But medzvar mamurim, what are we talking about? Because I, we're always talking about it in the case of a kazayat. If you have less than kazayat, then even if the amount of dough that's there in the crevices and the cracks if it's not strengthening the bowl and you don't care about it, if it's less than a kazayat, it still is not a problem. It does not make a barrier. You do not violate a prohibition by having that dough within the within the cracks and crevices of the bowl. So that's why I guess I, I had this, um, you know, the hint to this Japanese art form because there's a value, I guess, to the idea that you could have dough strengthening your bowl um, and then even if it's a kazayat, it's not considered a violation because it's got a function within the, the bowl. And the fact that it's made of dough seems to become irrelevant at that point. It's no longer a problem um, 
it's just no longer a problem. This case is interesting because I can't really fathom how the dough like sort of strengthens the bowl. I mean, I understand it, but it's, it's basically using the dough as almost like an epoxy, right? <laughs> that, right, right. You know, it's filler. Right. It's a filler basically. Um, and look again, I think, you know, things were not disposable back then. You know, you didn't just have a bowl and because it was cracked, you didn't just use it. So I think we're seeing a different approach to Kalim and what did you do when something had a crack and how did things get fixed? And it, it's just so different than how, at least for me personally, who does try to be some, you know, pretty careful environmentally. I don't like to use plastic and things like that, but I, it's just relating to, to things very differently. And I can't see now where there would be a situation where you would go to some, you know, to your local rabbi and say, you know, I have a bowl that have chametz stuck in it. You know, do I have to get like they would just be like, it's chametz. Okay. You know, right. don't use it for or, the or they say or they say scrub it out right. with some kind of cleanser that will make it, you know, will get rid of the ta'am of chametz. And, you know, if meaning let's say there was a financial need to keep it for some reason, right? Then but again, I agree with you, Yodina. We're much more cavalier about this type of thing nowadays. Right. So th there's something about this Mishnah and even the discussion in the Gemara that seems very specific to the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, I think that it also is, there's something about it that reassures me, right? That if we were stuck, that there's a lot more leeway, even with regard to Pesach, even with regard to Chametz, there's a lot more leeway than we ever really allow ourselves because we do live in this different kind of era where you know, bowls are much easier to come by and the s substances that we can use, the materials we can use to make bowls are much likely, much less likely to have a risk of a crevice. You know, you say plastic or, you know, I say a stainless steel bowl. There's no crack there. There's no, there's no dough sticking there. You want to do hagala on your stainless steel bowl and you've got a, it's kashla pesach again. But I, there's still something, what if you didn't have, what if you only had ceramic? What if you only had wood? Where would you go? You could use it. You the, the Gemara figures it out instead of saying you have to chuck everything, you have to burn everything, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm going to move on to Ahmed Bet. And there's two small sections here um, that I want to discuss. The first one has to do with two half kazais of dough that sort of gets, you know, are attached with a string of dough. I'm a Rav Nachman, I'm a Shmuel. So Rav Nachman said in the name of Shmuel. So here we have a case where you have two half kazais, right? Two half olive bulbs of, you know, chametz, of this chametz dough. And there's a string that's in between, between them. Right? So we see, right, what Ro'in, like we observe that when the string is taken and therefore they're, the, the two half olive bulbs are basically together, you have to remove that dough because basically now you have a full kazayat of dough. The im lav, right? But if you're not going to, in other words, you're just going to get rid of that string or you sort of treat it in a way that it's not attached, you don't actually have to remove it. Amar Ula, so Ula said, So Ula said that we said this because this is basically, it's, 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 it's a kula, right? It's a leniency here. Right, that you you basically have a full kazayit of um, of dough of chametz, but as long as you sort of take the string out that attaches it, we're not going to actually make you 
um, get rid of it. So this, you know, this, what was said here, Ula says, is only what? Ba'areva. It's only when it's in the kneading bowl. And basically, you know, it's it's stuck to the kneading bowl. About it. But if we're talking about a house, in other words, you have in your kitchen two half kezayases of chametz, right? Chayib levair. You have to get rid of it. And so I think Ula is really stating something that's obvious, which is if you go down this path, right, that having two halves, you know, doesn't make a whole one. So like you basically could just store like little half, you know, portions of, you know, a half kezayat of chametz all, all over your home. And so what Ula is basically saying is, no, this is like a really specific case of the dough as it is in the kneading bowl where it has the potential, you know, for pieces of it to get stuck together. And I think anybody who's kneaded dough before, right, you know, sometimes when you have that the dough is particularly sticky, right, you do have sort of these separate clumps that get stuck to the side of the bowl. So my time, what's the reason for this? Because a person then will sort of gather them together, right, when he's in his house, and they'll fall next to each other, right? So the idea is, is that if you allow someone to just keep these half, uh, you know, kezayat full of dough in their house, you know, he may gather them up, like, let's say it's on a countertop or something like that, and then he'll end up with an actual full kezayat, and that's a problem. Amar Ula, so now Ula's going to ask another question. Right, a question was raised in Eretz Yisrael. Right, remember Ula is always our traveling amora. Okay, but let's say, and again, I think this is a great example where Ula is really just sort of pushing the boundary here. Right, let's say you have, you know, half a thing of a half of kazayas of chametz in the house, and then you have another half kazayat on an upper story. Right. Um, or let's say you have it, it's in the house and it's in a portico, right? So the question is then, would you say that it actually combines or not? Or let's say you have, you know, two houses, one inside of the other, what's the In other words, Ula is basically asking, okay, I could see this thing about the half kazayat if it's in one room, but if they're really separated by space, do we, would we really consider it still to be uh, that it adds together to make a gazayat? And interestingly, the Gemara is not willing to say that it's not fully asur, which is what I, sorry, that it would be mutar, excuse me, that it should be okay. Or just to, to go ahead and say, no, if it's, you know, any type of continuous space, it should be, um, you know, asur. But instead it ends it with a teku, right? It basically says we don't actually have a good answer for this. And I think the reason for that is, is that, you know, on the one hand, we have to have an amount that we stick to, right? And the amount with chametz is going to be the portion size of a kezayat. And yet we also understand, but if you had multiple half kezayas around your home, why wouldn't that up add up to equal a kezayat? And I think here we're sort of seeing, you know, the Gemara and Ula play with, you know, what does it actually mean when we talk about this kezayat portion? Um, and, and really looking at like, what are the boundaries of that? Because there's something I think intuitive of saying, of course, it should add up to each other when it's sort of in some type of connected space. But yet we also have to respect like the measurement is the measurement. We use the olive bulk size as it and anything really less than it shouldn't really be something that you have to get rid of. And so I think that's why it ultimately lands as it being a taker. 
I find the fact that it ends in being a Teku fascinating. I feel like, what's the puzzle here? This is not so... I mean, not that I'm coming to say otherwise on the Teku. I just mean that I kind of would have expected them to resolve it because they haven't had any difficulty, great difficulty thus far, you know, as opposed to things where... I don't know, where you see an argument in the pages of the Gemara where it goes on and on and nobody can really come up with a bit more convincing case. And, and then you come to a Teku, you're like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Here I felt like, Teku already? Really? Yeah, it doesn't seem like this is a case that's actually should be a Teku. But it, I, again, my inclination about this is, is there something about sort of wanting to stand true to the Kazai? Because either it is an Olive's Worth bulk or it's not, you know? And at some point, you either have to really stick to that or not. Um, then I just want to go on. There's another interesting case that's brought after here. Tana Rabbanan hapat salami adam So this brisa comes and teaches us sort of this in-between case, right? One of the concepts that we've used with chametz is, is that as long as a dog can't eat it, it's sort of considered destroyed enough. And so this brisa gets us to the sort of in-between case, which is, it's moldy, right? We have moldy bread that is no human is going to eat this, but a dog would still eat it, right? And so what do they say here in this brisa? Right? So when it's still like this, this type of food, which is moldy, can still become tummy with the tuma of, of uh, food, right? Which we've talked about previously in the size of a, um, of a beitza because we're still sort of considering it somewhat to be food. And if this moldy bread was tahor truma, you would be allowed to burn it with um, tame truma, that's chametz on Pesach. But Rabbi Natan comes and says, no, it cannot actually be uh, ritually, um, it can't actually be ritually impure. And the Gemara is going to go on and have a little bit more of a discussion about this. But I, I, to me, it was just interesting, you know, to have this to sort of tease out the in-between category, uh, you know, like not fit for human consumption, but the dog can still eat it. And so what laws of food, right, like Tuma, you know, uh, Tuma Ochlin, you know, the first opinion is going to say still apply to it. And so I think what's in common here about these two cases of the two half Kizayat and this case of the Brisa of not good for humans, but good enough for um, for dogs is, it, to me, it's the same theme. Like the framing is, is we establish the rules ahead of time, but we know we can create scenarios where it doesn't fit exactly into it. And so I think it's a question of how strict is the law actually going to be with these types of in-between, you know, uh, scenarios, right? Like, are we just going to hold to the rules as they are? A kazayat is a kazayat, you know, food that still is edible to a dog is still food, is still food in a certain way. Um, and it's interesting to see that sort of all these cases of food really don't end up being black and white at all. I think food kind of in its own way is proving to me time and time again on the DAP. It's, it's kind of, an, it's difficult to categorize in certain ways. It's the, the rules aren't so clear cut. Um. I think the rules aren't so clear cut. I like this, the way you've characterized this in-between status. I've been waiting. I think even we mentioned it once before, I've been waiting for the dog to show up, right? The idea that we're talking, that when it comes to Pesach, 
we are concerned that things that might not really be food, but a dog would still eat, will still be a problem of chametz. But the moment we could say, well, a dog wouldn't even eat that, then we're not worried about chametz. Uh, so I feel like as a measuring stick or a barometer of what counts as food, the idea that a dog that we're going to call on, you know, the way the world works, and we know that dogs will eat, you know, less discriminately than human beings. Um, I think that um, I think that the in-between status is is important, especially as we're talking about. And I and I suppose this is part of what you're talking about as well, Yudina. The idea here we're talking about chametz, we're talking about an isrkarit. We have to be very careful not to violate it. And yet also, and this perhaps is something that we need, it's helpful to keep in mind when it comes to Pesach, you know, if you don't go overboard to say that nothing, nothing is not, nothing, how do I say this? Nothing is, the fact that something can have chametz in it, but not be food is still relevant, right? There's a, there's a line where you pass out of food where the dog won't even touch it. And I think that's why that case we had where, you know, there was an act, avalanche or something fell on the chametz and a dog can't even get to it. Right. So that's why it's obvious in that case, you don't have to get rid of it because it's not even accessible to the dog anymore for the dog to eat it. Like that case now even makes more sense to me after reading this price up. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Bring us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our one year anniversary on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, Go and learn.